But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, the last uh, couple of weeks have been quite interesting for me personally uh, because I feel like that God has started taking me uh, on a bit of a personal journey with a lot of discernment and a lot of challenge in my own life. Uh, and I think the Lord has told me that this, this season is going to last me probably until at least June. And it's going to be a time when I, I really evaluate almost everything that I'm doing and certainly every connection and things that I have outside of City Temple uh, and really challenge a lot of things. And I feel like it's going to be a season when God speaks to me about a lot of things uh, for the, the, the future and the next phase of life here at CT and, and all that God is doing. And, and, I, and I really feel like God has created in me this rising sense of dissatisfaction, not dissatisfaction in people. I love you guys very much. I'm not dissatisfied uh, with any of you. Uh, and and uh, just dissatisfaction with church in general. You know, I love church. I love this church. Um, and I love being with you guys. But the Lord is doing something in the earth. Uh, and the Lord is moving in some very, very powerful ways. And the Lord is going to continue to upset the status quo, especially status quo around church. Uh, if you have not read Francis Chan's new book, uh, Letters to the Church, I, I really would encourage you to read it. it. It is a very good, very challenging book. Don't agree with everything in it but he brings up a lot of good points and, and there are significant things that are happening in our world right now. And it's actually caused me to wonder because many of you know that we've been praying for and believing for a revival and I think that revival is coming. Actually, I think an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit is coming because I wondered a little bit if the reason why God hasn't sent revival isn't because in part there are certain things in his church across the churches in the body of Christ across the United Kingdom that God simply doesn't want to revive. I think there are certain churches that actually God wants to kill. Now, I'm not talking about the church, capital C church, but I think there are certain local churches that God probably wants to kill. And there are certain churches that he doesn't want to revive. Because if he revived them, what they would revive would not be good. It's just like, I don't want a revival of the bacterial infection that I had a few months ago. Don't revive that, God. There are certain things that we don't want God to revive. But also, 
we are in one of the biggest shifts, and it's been going on for some time. We are in one of the biggest shifts in history and certainly one of the biggest shifts in our lifetime. And, and I can't tell you all the ways that things are shifting, but just about everything that can shift that we have known is shifting. But I would say, economically, what we're in the midst of is a massive shift from west to east. You know, within a couple of years, China will become the world's biggest economy. It's on the trajectory. There's nothing that's going to stop it, and it's going to keep growing. Economically, things have been shifting from the West, Europe, United States, toward China and Asia, and that's going to continue. Sociologically, what's happening in terms of our society? Have you thought about this? We are in the midst of a shift from coherence to incoherence. It used to be 40, 50 years ago, everything would cohere together. Everything would work together. Think about the United Kingdom during the Great War, or not the Great War, the Second World War. The Great War was the First World War. It wasn't so great, but it was a big one. Uh, and you think about all the stories about how everybody came together. You look back even 40, 50 years ago, and you do not see the animosity that you see today between the Tories and the Labor Party. And, and so it seems like everything is splitting apart, everything is starting to fall apart, and if you feel that way, you're right. It is. You look at families, how they used to cohere together, and now they are not cohering, they're becoming incoherent. And even in people's lives, you have some people who will say, yes, I'm a Christian, but then follow their horoscope. That's incoherent. I know some people who claim to be Christians, yet believe in reincarnation. That's incoherent. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. And people are doing this and not even recognizing that they're doing it. We're also spiritually in a shift from north to south. You know, very soon, Africa will have more Christians on it than any, other nation, than any other continent and could have more Christians than all the other continents combined. That's where the church is really growing rapidly and there's no stopping it. It's going to continue. But you see this in South America as well. And we are seeing a shift, whereas it's been the United States and Europe for so long, we're seeing a shift from north to south. And that's going to happen. That's why we're blessed to have a number of people in our church from... Uh, Africa and South America. And we want that because that's the shift. And North, Northern Hemisphere people who think that they've got it all together are wrong. They don't know, and they're not on the leading edge of what God is doing. You know, right now, the only advantage that, say, the United States and Europe has is that the Christians in the United States and Europe are the ones that have all the money but they're not the ones that have all the spiritual power. And we're in the midst of this big shift. It's been going on for quite some time, but it's speeding up, this spiritual shift from north to south. And missionally, this is in terms of missions, reaching the world with the gospel, we are in the shift from big to small. It's been the case for 
quite a number of years now that we have valued in the body of Christ churches that are big. And we said if a church has 500, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people in it, that somehow, you know, it must have more of God's favor on it than a church of 10, 15, 20, 25, or 30 people. And that's not true. That's never been true. You can get 5,000 people with a good marketing campaign. Uh, that's one of the things that Francis Chan talks about in his book, uh, just how easy it is to build a big church. And he knows because he built a big church. And now he's somebody who doesn't want to build a big church. He wants to build lots of smaller churches. And so in terms of missions, in terms of reaching the world, we're moving from big to small. Just think about it with London. Um, if we were going to reach 10% of the people of London, uh, that would be 850,000 people. So say our goal was to reach 10% of London with the gospel. Where is there an 850,000 seat auditorium in London? And who is going to build an 850,000 seat auditorium in London? Or, okay, all right, I know, that's really unrealistic. So say 100,000 seat auditorium. Now it's possible, they just did it in Africa. So you can do it here. But is that what God's doing? No. We're moving. We're in the midst of a shift from big to small. And you're going to see this accelerate. But the problem is you're not going to see it accelerate. Because it's still going to be big for some time that gets all the attention. But it's going to be small that has all the impact. And you will see this. And it's not going to be people who get attention. Uh, you know, some of the leaders of the largest groupings of churches in the world are in China. I know of one person who oversees a group of churches, 100,000 people strong. But nobody knows this person's name. Because you don't want to get arrested. Uh, I know of one woman who just, you know, she got saved, and so she just started sharing the gospel with people, and after a few years, she had more than 10,000 people connected to her that had come to faith in Christ. But nobody knows who she is. And that's what God is doing around the world. And so we're in the midst of this shift, and the frustrating thing, when you're in the midst of a shift, you don't really recognize everything is happening. You're kind of like the frog in the kettle in, in what's going on. The other frustrating thing is, if you're somebody like me, you spend your life preparing for one thing and all of a sudden it shifts to another thing. And you think, okay, God, what in the world are you doing? And I've seen that a lot with my own life. The, the blessing is that the Lord has kept me from a lot of things that I could have moved into that before the end of my life will no longer be relevant. There are certain things, you know, like the Lord could have led me to pastor a very, very large church in the United States. It would have been easy to do, frankly. But by the time I get ready to retire, it will be almost meaningless because that's not where God is. And the thing is, you know what? I want to be where God's going. I don't want to be where God's been. Does that make sense? I don't know if you've ever heard of Wayne Gretzky. Anybody know Wayne Gretzky? Anybody know of hockey, ice hockey? 
Okay, you don't even know ice hockey. That's right, because you know there's not many people to play here. Wayne Gretzky was probably one of the greatest ice hockey players of all time. I think he was Canadian. I'll have to get Andrew to, to confirm that. But I think it was Canadian. And uh, somebody asked him how he was such a great ice hockey player, how, how he always seemed to be right on top of the puck. And he said, somebody asked him this, and he said, well, it's because I don't look where the puck's been. I look where it's going. And that's where I go. And that's what we have to do with God. We can't look where God's been. We don't want to look at where God, what God's done in the past. What God has done in the past and where he's been can give us some clues about what he might do in the future. But we need to be looking forward to where God is going to be, looking toward what God is going to do, and positioning ourselves so that we can fully participate in what God has, not only for the church globally, but also for our lives particularly. Because these principles are true not only in a macro sense, they're also true in a micro sense. And so the question is, how do we do this? How do we do this? We do it through faith. We do it by walking by faith, which is the, the theme of this series. Walking by faith. Now, when the Bible talks about walking, it's talking about living but it's also talking about living out a journey. You see, we all live out a journey in our lives, and your journey is different from my journey. It just so happens that we have had the privilege of our journeys intersecting for this period of our lives, but one day, there's no guarantee that our journeys are going to continue to go together. The only guarantee that I have in my life of the person that will journey with me is my wife. And she will be there either at the end of my life or I'll be there at the end of her life. And one of our journeys will continue without the other. But we will be together until that time. And that's the only promise that I have from the Lord. I know that that will happen. As much as I love everybody, you don't know where they're going to be. Your journey with your kids, you do understand your kids won't be with you your whole life in that way. So the only person may be a spouse, and so we're all on a journey. All of our journeys are different. We're walking on this journey. You don't want to run to the journey because you know what the end of the journey is? You die. Okay, so that's why we're walking by faith, not running by faith. Because you know, I'm not going to run to my death if it's there, I'll meet it, but I'm not running to my death. I'll walk to my death, and if God says my death is coming, I might start walking a little bit more slowly, even though I know where I'm going. You know, I might walk a little bit more slowly. So to live this life, to go on this journey, the only way we can do it is by faith. And so we're going to look at faith uh, in this sense, and it's not only how we live our lives and, and participate in the journey, but it's the day-to-day -day episodes of our lives that we live by faith. If you have a sick coworker, do you pray for them? Do you share the gospel with them? How do you do that? You do it by faith. And so we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about this uh, in the time ahead. But we need to remind ourselves, what is faith? And I'll give you this definition of Christian faith. Christian faith is choosing to trust and to act often beyond our own ability 
based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways, founded in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Christian faith, now everybody lives by faith. Some people have faith in science, some people have faith in Allah, some people have faith in Jesus, some people have faith in themselves, everybody lives by faith. But Christian faith is based in the reality of God. Christian faith, to be authentic Christian faith, it has to be based on a true knowledge of God and his ways. You know, a lot of people, they have false knowledge of God, and this is true in the church. A lot of people in the church, they haven't read the book, so they haven't gotten to know God. And God, he reveals himself to us in the book. He reveals himself to us in Jesus. And you got to read the book and you got to know Jesus because unless that happens, you can't know God. And so we need to come to a true knowledge of God and his ways, but that's going to be based on a relationship with God. You can't have a true knowledge of a person without a relationship of that person. You could have told me everything you wanted to tell me about Karen in terms of the days that she was born, uh, when her birthday was, uh, how she spent her life, where she got her diploma. You could give me all kinds of facts and figures about Karen, but I don't know her until I meet her, until I have a relationship with her. And I, and I grow in that relationship, and that's essential. So we have to have this relationship with God the Father. The only way we have that is through faith in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for us, rose from the dead, and the Holy Spirit has to empower us. And this is what Christian faith is all about. And we're going to come back to it. If you don't have that kind of faith, you don't have Christian faith and you're not a Christian. You know, you might talk like a Christian, you might walk like a Christian, you might act like a Christian, but that doesn't make you a Christian any more than putting on a hamburger costume makes you a hamburger. Right? Or if I dressed up like the queen, doesn't make me the queen. Makes me a little something, but it doesn't make me the queen. Okay, so we got that. So that's what we're going to explore and see how do we live, how do we walk by this faith. And we can learn a lot from this passage from Hebrews. But there are a lot of things that seem like faith that are not. There's lots of kinds of faith, if you will, but they're not really biblical. First, I want to give you a few of them quickly. One is a mechanistic faith. A mechanistic faith. What is this? It means that it's kind of deterministic. God's going to do what God's going to do. This is really the faith of Islam. Now, it believes that God is sovereign. God does what God does. We don't really influence God. And so, you know, if it's God's will, this will happen. If it's not God's will, it doesn't happen. And that's all there is to it. And that's kind of a mechanistic view of faith. There's a lot of Christians that have this. There are a lot of people in the Reformed tradition that get so hardened on the idea of God's sovereignty, which you know, I think is the foundational truth about God. He is sovereign. But you can get to a place where, well, if God's sovereign, that means everything that happens is determined by God, and it doesn't make any difference what we do. Do you know that there are some people, there are atheists who have a deterministic faith, a mechanistic faith. There are a number of atheists. It's one of the real secrets of, of atheism and evolutionism, evolutionary biology, it just means you are what you are. So if you kill somebody, it's just because of the neurons that are firing in your brain, and you are always destined to do that. And you really can't change that because all you are is a function of your biology. 
So that's a mechanistic faith. Uh, another kind of faith is, and I see this a lot, is this magical faith. This magical faith. It, some people get all mysterious and, ooh, I got faith. Something's going to happen. You know, and, and, and we kind of think, if I do the right thing or have kind of the right formula, you know, that, then, then God's going to answer that. You know, if, if I open up, if I just read the Bible, it doesn't matter what I read, if I just read the Bible, then something is going to happen just through reading the Bible. And that's a magical kind of faith. It's not really biblical. It's not really biblical. Then there's a transactional faith. And this is another big one in the body of Christ, the transactional faith. It means if I give something to God, then God's going to give something to me. So if I give God 100 pounds, he's going to give me 1,000 pounds. If I'm a good little boy or a good little girl, then God's going to make sure that I don't suffer very much. Uh, if I keep myself pure before marriage, then I'm going to have a great marriage. You know, this kind of transactional faith that really doesn't, is not based on a relationship with God. Now, when we're in relationship with people, yes, there are transactions. Communication is a transaction. But this transactional faith, it's a bit like an ATM. Now, I can go to any ATM with my bank card, pull it in, put it in, get money out, and never interact either with my bank or with a person. I can go to the HSS, HSBC bank, even though my bank is Lloyd's, use their ATM, not even interact with my own bank, and they give me money. They're crazy people, these HSBC people. You should try it sometime. It's really great. I get money from HSBC all the time, and I don't even put money in. How does that work? But a lot of people have that idea about God. It's a transaction, and that's not it either. Then some people have a wishful faith, a wishful faith. And this is kind of faith that's based on our selfish desires. Uh, you know, I, I, I love this song that uh, uh, was, oh, it's about 30 years old, um, it was called, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. Uh, and it's, it's, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. I don't think I've got what it takes. I'm just a man. I'm not Tarzan. Don't like spiders, gorillas, or snakes. I'll serve you here in suburbia in my comfortable middle-class life, but please don't send me out into the bush where the natives are restless at night. And obviously it was a comical song. It was a Christian song. It was a comical song. But a lot of people are like that when they come to their faith. It's like, oh God, I wish for all the good things that would happen to me. I wish for all the blessings. And it's based on our selfish desires, our self-orientation. It has no knowledge of God. And then there's a cheap faith. This is where people are not willing to suffer and embrace the cross. And a lot of people walk by a cheap faith. You know, they'll follow God until it gets difficult. They'll, they'll follow Jesus until there's a challenge, until they don't like what the preacher says, or they don't like something that God tells them, or they don't want to do something. And they'll follow God as long as it's comfortable. And that's a cheap faith, and it's not biblical. And finally, and there's a lot of others, but finally, there's a hollow faith. And hollow faith has no real substance, no real knowledge of God. Yeah, we've got all the jargon and all the lingo and things like that, but we don't really do anything about it. You know, there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians who live their lives most of the time as if God doesn't really exist. I mean, they'll say that I love Jesus, they'll say I follow Jesus, but they don't make Jesus-oriented decisions every day of their life. 
That's hollow faith. That's hollow faith. Your faith is not judged by Sunday, it's judged by Monday. And how you live interacting with other people around you, especially those who are not Christians. So all these forms of faith are not biblical. Biblical faith is choosing to trust and act based on a true knowledge of God and His ways, founded in a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's biblical faith. And the writer to the Hebrews here gives us some great insights into this biblical faith and what a difference it makes. First of all, you can see in this passage, and I'm not going to go through it exegetically, but you can find this in the scripture here. You can see in this passage that faith is a basic orientation of your life. Faith is what causes you to point your life in a certain direction and keep going in that direction. The faith that I would get to Scotland a couple of weeks ago caused me to point my car in a certain direction and take a, follow a certain road map to get to my destination. And that's what faith does. It orients our life. And if you don't have that basic orientation of your life toward Jesus, you don't have biblical faith. You don't have biblical faith. We also see in this passage that faith has to be enlightened. We have to have the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Nobody just decides, hey, I'm going to just believe in God. The Holy Spirit has to show us who God is and draw us into that relationship and open our hearts and our minds to know Jesus as He really is. So if you really want to live by faith, if you want to walk by faith, if you want to be where God is going instead of hanging out where God has been, then what you have to do is say, Holy Spirit, open my heart and my mind so I can see it and so I can move in that direction. Without that enlightenment, you'll never have faith. We need the Holy Spirit. A lot of Christians, they forget the third person of the Trinity. He's not just there when we come to faith. He's there every day of our life as we live, as we walk by faith. Now another dynamic of this biblical faith is we have to have a willingness to endure suffering and difficulty. Whoever said that Christians weren't supposed to suffer is the person who never read the Bible. It is all throughout the New Testament. I don't know that there's a single book in the New Testament. There might be. You can tell me about it if you discover it. I don't think there's a single book in the New Testament that doesn't talk about suffering in some way. Christians will endure suffering and difficulty of many different kinds. Sometimes it's overt, sometimes it's covert, but suffering and difficulty is part of the life. Also, according to the writer here, this faith is something that's public, not private. Now, of course, it is personal. But this whole idea of, well, I've got my personal relationship with Jesus and I'm not going to tell you about it, that is so unbiblical, it's unbelievable that anybody could ever have said that in the first place. Christian faith is always a public faith. Throughout the Bible, we take a stand for Jesus publicly. Now, that doesn't mean you have to get up on your desk tomorrow morning and start preaching Christ to everybody. It just means that people need to know that you're following Jesus. And when those opportunities come and you remind people of this, you share this, that you're public about it. You can't keep it hidden. It ultimately has to be a public declaration. 
This faith, according to the writer to the Hebrews, this biblical faith, is something that's based in the present, but looks ahead to the future. You know, we can't get so future-oriented as Christians that we forget what's happening now. So we have to be focused on what's going on around us. For example, with this Brexit situation, you can't ignore what's happening with Brexit. We need to pray into it. But at the same time, we need to understand that 10 years from now, Brexit will not be dominating the conversation. And 10 years from now, there will be approximately one to 200,000 people in London in the population of seven and a half million right now, probably more, but I don't know the stats. There'll be at least a couple hundred thousand people who have died and gone to hell. Which is more important? Brexit or salvation? It puts us in context. And we always have to be doing that as Christians. You know, there are a lot of times when I don't do something not because I'm a good Christian. There are times when I don't do something because I think, okay, God, if I do this, it's going to have future consequences that I don't want for my life. So our faith is based in the present, but it's always looking toward the future. And our faith is something that has an expectation for God's sovereign and miraculous intervention. One of our greatest problems right now in the West is we're not believing God enough for miracles. We're not believing God enough to intervene. We're not praying enough to see God move. And the reason we're not praying is not because we have this confidence that everything's going to work out okay. The reason we're not praying is because we don't really believe it makes a difference. And what we need to be doing is having an expectation for God to intervene, an expectation for God to do miracles. This faith as well for, for the writer to the Hebrews is something that makes us predisposed to do the will of God. Faith is expressed in obedience. If we have faith, we will obey. If we don't have faith, we won't. And it's hard sometimes because it's not just the, the areas where it seems very obvious that, okay, this is not God's will, I shouldn't go uh, and, and visit a prostitute or something. Oftentimes, it's little areas of our lives about how we spend our money, how we spend our time, who we're connected with, what we say, what we don't say. Those are the things where we need to learn how to obey. And faith will predispose us to obey. And finally, we need to remember that faith has to endure for the long haul, for the long journey. Your faith is something that needs to keep you for the rest of your life. I don't know where God's going to take me in all my life. I don't know where my journey is, is going to end. I don't know the bends and the curves and things like that in my journey. But I know that God is with me throughout the journey. I know he will be with me. And what I need to do is just keep going. All the times I feel like quitting, all the times I feel like stepping back, I step forward. I press on. A lot of times it's just little baby steps. It's not big steps, it's little steps. But I keep going. I keep moving on. And that's what we have to do. And that's faith. A lot of times we celebrate the faith where, where we see, it seems like people make these great leaps in the spirit. 
And we say, oh man, what kind of faith does that person have? Did you see how far they jumped in that moment? But let me tell you, what takes more faith is walking every single day in the Spirit. And I'm blessed that I have known men of God who have served faithfully for longer years. I've been uh, an ordained pastor for over 30 years now, and I know some people have been ordained for more than 50 years, and they're still walking with the Lord. And that's an amazing thing. And we celebrate that, and we want to honor that. So we are all on a journey that requires us to walk by faith. And we are on a journey that hopefully will position us to where God is going so that we fully participate in where God is going in our lives individually and also corporately, also together. But the writer here warns us, if we shrink back, if we choose, and the idea about shrinking back is not missing it, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I, I missed it. I, I should have done this and I didn't do it. That's not shrinking back. That's making a mistake. Shrinking back is where you say, ah, no, I'm not going to go on this journey. And you turn around. And we need to understand it's an intentional thing. It's not an accidental thing. But he says, if you shrink back, then you'll be destroyed. Then, you're, then you'll be obliterated. Then you have no hope. Then it's over. You don't shrink back, but if we continue to have faith, if we continue to walk in faith, he promises that we will preserve our souls. We will reach the destination that we have in Jesus Christ. And this is God's promise for us. This is God's promise for us. Now, obviously, this promise requires that you're on that journey of faith. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ 100%, now is the time. If you hold back anything, you've not surrendered. And what we like to do, we like to commit our lives to Jesus. Because if we commit our lives to Jesus, then we decide what we commit, right? Jesus, I'll commit to you 10% of my money. And Jesus says, well, that's great, but I want it all. Jesus, I'll commit to you one day a week. And Jesus says, well, that's kind of nice, but I made that day for you in the first place. Actually, I want the other six. What we need to do is surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, today is the day to do it. You just come to him and say, Jesus, I know that you died on the cross to forgive my sins, so I pray that you'd forgive me now, and I ask that you'd be the leader of my life, what the Bible calls our Lord. Be the leader of my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me faith so that I can be on this journey. And any prayer like that, that you pray right now, today, will start you in on this journey because it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And if you hear a nudge in your heart, you have a nudge in your life, it's the Spirit of God trying to enlighten you. Let Him do it. Let Him do it. But if you're here and you've realized that, okay, I, I've just committed my life to Jesus, I've not surrendered my life to Jesus, I'm, I'm walking with Jesus, I love Him, but it's a commitment, not a surrender, and you want to surrender, then I encourage you to do that today. To say, Jesus, I surrender to you again. Enable me to walk by faith. And if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, then rejoice in that and say, Jesus, preserve me in my faith and preserve my soul so I can continue going with you. Let us be a church who refuse to shrink back. 
Let us be a church that commit ourselves individually and corporately to move forward boldly to be where God is going so we can do what God is doing and see the world changed with the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you that you've given us faith. Thank you that you've drawn us here in this place. And as we go on this journey learning about the faith you have given, let us go deeper and deeper and deeper into that faith. Oh, we love you and we praise you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, this afternoon as we go into Sunday Focus, I pray that it too would be a time really to strengthen our faith. Help us to be people who press ahead boldly. To your glory and praise. Amen.